HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Radio, radio from Farmers by Young Farmers. It is Thanksgiving time and the time to celebrate uh, the end of this harvest season and the beginning of tucking in earlier and earlier with nice books and um, sustaining our brains with literature. Um, and also, it's a time of year when all of the people in the rest of the country start buying vegetables. Um, if they did so more, if Somebody told me that if you were to have Americans buy vegetables in the same quantity um, as they do uh, at Thanksgiving for like three or four more weekends a year, that we could something like increase vegetable production by double. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Radio, radio from farmers by young farmers. It is Thanksgiving time and the time to celebrate uh, the end of this harvest season and the beginning of tucking in earlier and earlier with nice books and um, sustaining our brains with literature. Um, and also, it's a time of year when all of the people in the rest of the country start buying vegetables. Um, if they did so more, if Somebody told me that if you were to have Americans buy vegetables in the same quantity um, as they do uh, at Thanksgiving for like three or four more weekends a year, that we could 
something like increase vegetable production by double. Um, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Uh, I'm Robin Kahanowicz. Um, so Robin is coming to us from the community college world where they are doing a training program for uh, beginning farmers. And Robin, how long has that program been going on and what's your history with it? Uh, the program started as a continuing education program, so a non-credit program, in 1996. And in 2002, we started offering a two-year degree, an Associate of Applied Science uh, in Sustainable Agriculture. And I started with the college in December of 99. So this has been a, this has been a, it uh, sounds like a growing program and that there's growing interest to get the kind of practical skills training in production agriculture. Oh, sorry, I guess the question is, how has the program been changing over the course of that, of that time? Um, and what are the students, uh, what are the students looking to get out of this degree? Um, if it didn't come with a, it doesn't come with a degree, it sounds like they're looking for life skills. It does come with a degree. It's a two-year degree, uh, and there, there's also certificates that are associated, and the certificates actually carry college credit as well. So since 2002, people can get the degree, and there's a variety of um, goals that people have. You know, it depends on what they're coming in with. A lot of people are coming in with a four-year degree or uh, some other kind of degree, including master's and PhDs to come into our program um, because they want to change careers or add to what they're doing in um, looking at land they already have or perhaps land they're going to inherit and want to be able to be involved in local food systems. So we're seeing a real diversity of students and the goals that they have to use the education that they're getting here. Well, and it's been remarked elsewhere, and I'll go ahead and remark it again, the community college system has been the location for a lot of the um, ecological horticulture and nursery um, and agricultural training programs that um, has sprung up around the, the country. Are you, in, are you in touch with other um, community college-based programs, and do you guys have a conspiracy going on to be most in tune uh, part of our educational system? Well, I think um, the the mission of the community college system, at least in North Carolina, and I believe you know in other parts of the country as well, is to respond to the needs of the community. And so, our community early on, you know, in the '90s, was asking for this kind of program. And so, it is the mission of the community college system to respond. And so, they did. And then once we established our program in Pittsburgh uh, at Central Carolina Community College, then other colleges within our system were able to tap into what we've already done and build programs around that. And in other parts of the country, the, the community college system is similar in that they have the ability to respond more quickly than the university system does. I always say the university is like an ocean liner and the community colleges are like speedboats. You know, if we need to turn around, we can, and we can do it quickly, and we can respond, where a university seems like it takes a whole lot longer to do that. Well, and then 
I, I, it's wonderful to hear that, um, to, to know of that responsiveness. And I, I guess a kind of a follow-up would be when you guys set up these programs and you're issuing these certificates, those must be very useful, not only in terms of the skills uh, training, but that there's some kind of official stamp that people can use for getting loans or getting lease agreements or moving on in their kind of applied career. Is that, is that the case? It it seems to be. Um, I don't know about in getting loans, but I think when you are, you know, assembling the kind of credentials that you need to do such um, things, that, that that couldn't hurt, you know, to show that you've gone through a program. The focus of the degree here is, is really an entrepreneurial um, program. The people who designed it uh, were first-time farmers, and so they knew the kind of skills that they were lacking, you know, going into farming and wanted to create something that would help to fill that gap, to fill the gap for people who didn't grow up on a farm, you know, and wanted to see farming as a business. And so the kind of classes that people have to take include production, you know, organic production uh, specifically for us, and then um, small business skills, writing a business plan, writing a marketing plan, how to manage a farm, and then also how to build a shed, how to build a fence, how to fix your tractor, you know, all that's included. And so when somebody leaves here, they, they have the skills and the credentials that maybe help them get a job, you know, in local food systems work or as a farm manager, or eventually, you know, if they are applying for a loan, they have both you know, the skills and the experience in that piece of paper that says they went through all that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of your um of your experience and having watched this evolve over the course of um a decade or more, no more now, uh to say to see and ask from your perspective, have you seen as these um educated and trained uh entrepreneurs march through your program and march out into the world around you, have you seen a transformation of any kind in the kind of Pittsburgh area as these small businesses get established? And what is the impact of that on your, on your kind of community self-reliance and, and kind of prosperity level as a region? Um, well, we do see them leave and become farmers, but not necessarily just in our area. So um, Pittsburgh is in the middle of the state in North Carolina, and we are surrounded by a really vibrant um, and long-standing farming community. Both farmers' markets and production agriculture is, is key to uh, industry in, in Chatham County, but then also in surrounding counties, there's a lot of sustainable and organic agriculture, really vibrant farmers markets. Um, so we, we came into being as a program because of the vibrancy of agriculture in our region, and that vibrancy has maintained. But what we do see um, with our students leaving is that they may go into other communities and start their own farms and help start farmers markets and become successful at at farming and marketing. But we're also seeing them participate in um, food co-ops, you know, as as produce managers and uh, other aspects of 
of food management in food cooperatives. We're seeing them go on to work with advocacy organizations, so promoting and educating people in sustainable agriculture. Um, yeah, so a diversity of things. And there are several reasons why our area, um, I think, did better in the past recession um, than other parts of North Carolina, but probably just the vibrancy of our local economy has really helped. And farmers, many of whom participated, you know, some way in our in our program, are part of that. Yeah, that sounds like a very um, a very smart thing for a community college to understand its its needs and its mission so clearly, and to and to chug out to the world with a vision to serve and to pump out then people who are who are going to be a really solid um, ground layer for the region. Um, can you describe some of the um, agricultural history and soil of the Piedmont area and and what was grown there, kind of in the beginning of of uh, our settlement as a, as a country and how that has how that shift has happened. I know there's a long legacy of chicken uh, chicken production, and but could you just give us a kind of micro history of, of of how things have changed and how the landscape continues to change and where it might be going? Sure, um, our our county itself was a um, an area where cotton was produced, so Chatham County and. Uh, cotton is pretty hard on the soil. We do have a um, a very diverse soil profile in Chatham County. There are lots of different soil types. We are uh, on a Georgeville, which is a, a clay loam soil here at the community college, but the uh, soil types in the county itself are really diverse. But cotton was uh, a key crop in production agriculture here in the county, and that really did deplete the soil. And then chickens came in, and the chicken litter is what helped bring the soil back to a state of fertility that allowed cattle to come into the county and uh, help to fertilize fields that were coming back to life and allowed for grazing of cattle. So uh, poultry, we've we've had some um, hits to the poultry industry uh, more, more recently, but poultry has been big in Chatham County, and beef is uh, still big in Chatham County as far as production. But Chatham County is also one of the counties in our state where uh, small-scale diversified Vegetable and livestock farms are increasing in number, and so we have uh, five farmers markets a week in Chatham County, and our farmers in Chatham also leave the county to go to farmers markets in other counties. So the growth of diversified and uh, small-scale agriculture has happened steadily over the last decade in Chatham County. Well, and and that um, I really I really like that succession dynamic that you describe, and the the um, the chicken litter uh, restoring the land to fertility after the 
um, the cotton took it all down. And obviously that's a, a project that has to happen in so many other contexts. Um, well, isn't there also a program there where the um, the folks who were growing tobacco got some support to switch out of tobacco? Or maybe that's not right in your county. Maybe that's adjacent counties. But could you explain how that happened? Because I think it's a really great example for people to know about. Yeah. Um, the tobacco settlement in North Carolina um, allowed for farmers to transition uh, out of tobacco and into different crops and allowing, meaning that there was money provided to different educational organizations and universities to help train tobacco farmers to look at new markets and look at new opportunities for growing diversified crops. And one of the more interesting, I think, uh, transitions is the uh, transition from growing conventional tobacco to growing organic tobacco because it used the skills of the the farmer in tobacco growing, what they already knew how to do, and then added the the ability to grow that crop organically. And because of that, you know, organic crop production requires crop rotation and so and diversification. And so the tobacco growers are now um, sweet potato and collard growers. And so they have um, a market for their organic tobacco. They have markets for their other organic uh, vegetable crops that they're growing. And they're direct marketing as well as selling into uh, the commodity markets. So they're able to restore the land through the practices of crop rotation and, you know, the different practices that are associated with organic agriculture, as well as being able to diversify the products that they grow. Well, and, and it's also just such a, I mean, it's such a perfect example of how that uh, the application of technical assistance and funding and support to transition landscapes is really what it takes to get people kind of out of this one pattern and into another, and that there's right. maybe some, um, like, we could maybe learn from that in other contexts if we're, you know, as a nation thinking about, you know, how do we be, how do we focus on growing crops for healthier people and, you know, making it easier to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables in our diet kind of strategically, that there, that there are, there are um, precedents for switching away from, you know, commodity production that makes you have, um, you know, cough a lot. You know, we have a different, lot of other commodity production systems that um, could potentially, I don't want to make you say anything. I'll, I'll just say it. <laughs> but the, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's it's really interesting precedent for for seeing what is the dynamic for shifting, um, diversifying and and creating a more sustainable kind of landscape metric matrix, and mm-hmm. um, for the farmers um, a greater level of security. There's a really interesting project that um, is going on here in North Carolina that was instigated by a t-shirt company, TS Designs, and they um, they print. Uh, uh, t-shirts. They print graphics on t-shirts, and they've always tried to source, you know, uh, organic t-shirts. And um, they made an effort to get North Carolina cotton grown uh, so that they could make their t-shirts more locally. And then they transitioned from 
you know, or they work with farmers to get not just North Carolina cotton, but try to get farmers to grow organic cotton. And so through the effort, starting with having a market, you know, for these crops, then they've worked through the whole system of teaching people what is needed, and they already knew how to grow cotton. It was just how to grow organic cotton. And so having that market there as the the goal and being able to get through that. So they have a, a very local uh, T-shirt that they create, and um, that market will grow because they're showing a demand and the consumer is is buying into that. Well, and I think, um, you know, it really speaks to the kind of strategic intervention that can happen in so many different parts of the system. And, like, so often people will say, oh, you're you're young farmers who are all starting their little farms. They're insignificant, and that's, um, you know, just too slow, or the only way to get into farming is to marry it or inherit it. And so there's a lot of kind of... Um, assumption about the system being really quite um, slow to change or locked in or that there's it um, it takes too long to, to make shifts and I and you're pointing to such a positive example of how you know old dogs can learn new tricks and the value chain can extend both backwards and forwards in um, in terms of asserting values um, or cultural practices in the production and that we all, especially if those of us who are thinking about food systems change, um, can really learn so much from just looking at how things are happening on the ground. We don't have to be abstract about it at all. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. plenty of great examples <laughs> of how it works. There are. And a lot of um, great examples of innovative ways of accessing land, you know, whether it's urban or rural, there are a lot of um, people who are are determined to grow crops, and they're figuring out ways to do it without well, buying the farm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's one of my most favorite topics in the whole world right now. And um, I'm going to grab, if you don't mind, a couple seconds to ask you for some of what you're seeing around there. We've in just a little tiny plug is at agrariantrust.org. We've been cataloging kind of examples from the ground um, of people making making magical uh, possibilities happen, or not even that magical, just practical. Um, but what's, what, what do you see around you there, how people are, are making that, um, that connection, that getting the access? Uh, well, it seems like in the more urban areas, like in Raleigh and in Durham, uh, people are seeking out those open spaces that might be available for agriculture and following up on, on what they see and uh, asking the question, you know, can we put a farm here? And making different um, different agreements as far as how they access the land, whether it's, um, you know, a lease type of agreement or a trade type of agreement. Uh, but people are being able to produce food, you know, in urban areas on land that they don't own. Um, and do it, you know, in multiple seasons, not just uh, there and gone. So I think that's um, happening all over the country, but there are some examples locally that, you know, we've seen 
get established and keep on going. So that's pretty exciting. Maybe I can follow up with you off the air to get some of those um, leads so we can do some documentation. There's a really interesting model you might want to know about that just got passed by the state legislature here in California, which is it's called the Urban Williamson Act. And basically what it means is if an urban property owner agrees to have a five-year lease with a farm, then that property owner doesn't pay uh, state property tax on that property. Hmm. And so it gives the farmers like a bartering tool as they come into one of those negotiations to give, to give a benefit to the landowner who's uh, you know, voluntarily suspending their development rights over that land. Anyway, it seems like yeah, season that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that anyway, that's that's one of those things that are up on the site. Now we're coming to the end of our time. Um, I just wanted to make sure to give you a chance to uh, announce any upcoming programs or trainings or teachings or deadlines or harvest festivals of any kind that you thought that people might want to come to. Um. Well. We are actually ending up our semester in a couple of weeks, and so we just had the North Carolina and South Carolina share a uh, Farm Stewardship Association, and so their big conference was uh, a couple weekends ago. So we're kind of looking at um, a little bit of quiet time here before the semester starts up again in January. So when the semester starts up, we'll have some new students and some continuing students uh, coming in, and our our campus is always open for visitors. So people are interested in seeing certified organic farm on a community college campus that also houses a natural chef program, a uh, renewable energy program, and a green building program. Uh, then you might want to come visit us. Yeah, or you might just want to move to North Carolina right away. <laughs> A lot of people do. <laughs> a lot of people do. This is how it should be, that all the buyer regions are fighting for the best talent. So this has been, um, I thank you so much, Robin, for your time and all you for listening. This has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. And if you haven't figured out which farm conferences you're going to go to this winter, most of them have scholarships for beginning farmers and Carpooling and sharing hotel rooms or sleeping nearby on farms can all reduce the cost that it will cost you to go. I'm sure you have figured that out by now, but you know, don't don't waste your winter. Use your time wisely and make sure to expose your brain to enough stimulation to keep you um, in this for the long term. That's my um, guidance for the day. Sorry that it uh, took so long. Okay, bye everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.